So, uh, today uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there, and we'll be through verses 1 through 6. But to get us started, I want to share a little story with you all about my life. Uh, About a little over a year ago, I became a dad for the first time. So obviously, for those who are parents, that drastically changes everything. You know, you, you complain about sleep and then you don't get any more and all those different things. And so uh, one of the things as far as my schedule goes is on Fridays, our, our offices are closed. Um, so side note, uh, don't text us on Fridays. All right, so um, we, I'm just kidding. Y'all can text all you want, but really don't. So on Fridays, we, we the staff, we're, we're home with our families and all that stuff because we're up here all day on Sunday. And on Fridays in my house, that's when I have my my son. And so I I watch William on Fridays. And those are the days that uh, early on, I really tried to impress my wife that I could handle everything. And uh, we were at that stage where she was trying some new things and we were going to formula and all that stuff. And it was uh, about nap time that day. And uh, Emily had gone over all the instructions with me. If you know my wife, she's very type A. And if you know me, I don't listen. And, and so she was going through all these directions. And I always tell her, just text me or write it down because I, I always forget it. Um, and so she went through everything with me. And I just kind of, yes, yes, yes. All right, I got this thing. Well, I go and open up the fridge. It's about nap time. He's hungry and all that stuff. And so I look and, and I see this area. I've kind of named it like a bottle land because that's where she keeps all the stuff. And so I open it up. I look and, and I'm seeing, okay, well, this is, this is new. I see something different. And I think, okay, this is what she's, you know, going to start trying now. And so I, I take it out and I, I shake it. Okay, it feels, feels like milk, shakes like milk. All right, let's open it up. Put it in his bottle. Okay, it looks, looks very similar to milk. Shake it again. Yeah, it feels, feels good to me. And so I, I take him in, and, and I gave him that bottle. I mean, he sucked that thing down so fast, and so he was so happy. And I'm sitting there like, all right, I'm doing a good job here. You know, I, I'm thinking pretty good about myself in this moment. And he goes down for a nap. Boy's out for like three hours. And you know when a baby's out for three hours, I mean, that is a miracle from God. And so I'm sitting there like, man, I don't know what all this fuss about parenting is about. I think I got this thing. You know, I'm doing pretty good. Well, that afternoon when Emily gets home, she opens up the fridge, you know, and goes through everything. How'd everything go? Man, great. Nap for three hours. Wow, really? You know, yeah, look at me. You know, I'm so happy about myself in this moment. And so I'm, I'm building up this pride. And so she opens up the refrigerator, and she sees that uh, this bottle is, is half empty. And she goes, well, why did you drink some of this? I was like, no, I, I didn't drink any of it. I, I gave it to William. That's the stuff you left for him. And she goes, you're kidding, right? I said, no, I'm not kidding. Now, I like to play jokes on my wife, and so this was, you know, about a five-minute dialogue to figure out if I was telling the truth or not. And so I prom- I'm like, I-, I promise you, I am not kidding. I fed him that stuff. Why is that a big deal? She goes, Matthew, did you read the bottle? Well, oh, no, I didn't have to. It was in bottle land. She goes, what the heck is bottle land? I said, well, that's what I named the part in the fridge. She says, that is the weirdest thing. I said, well, you married a weird person. And so she then looks at the bottle. She shows it to me. She says, Matthew, this is your mother's equate 
diabetes protein shake. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I didn't tell you this, but our son started walking today, and he's got a goatee as well. So he, uh, she was not real happy with me in that moment, but here's the thing that I'm thankful for, and for all of us here who are parents, for all of us here who are married, is I am thankful for second chances. Amen? And so my wife fortunately has given me uh, infinity chances on many different occasions, and I'm very, very thankful for her. She is a rock star wife, a rock star mom, and for those of you who know her, you know that is a fact, and I am thankful that she continues to give me second chances. I know that you are thankful that your spouse, that your kids continue to give you second chances as well. And so today in our passage of Scripture, what I want us to look at is, is really that phrase, a second chance. Because when we open up the scripture, what we see is that God is a God who gives us a second chance. See, we have turned our back on God as a result of disobedience, this thing called sin. But even when we run from God, praise the Lord that he continues to pursue us. We sang the song, Reckless Love, as it is a song reflecting the parable. Though there may be 99 sheep, the one that goes astray, the shepherd is willing to go. Praise God that he is willing to pursue us and give us a second chance. So today what I want us to look at is this. is All throughout Scripture, there are second chances. But one of my favorite people in Scripture is this man named Moses. You know, when you think about Moses, you may think about uh Christian Bale and the, and the new Moses movie. You think of the Prince of Egypt if you're like me when I was a kid and you watched the cartoon. I didn't realize Moses sang. And so, you know, you look at all those different things and you see all throughout history that this figure has been talked about. But when we really look at Moses, there is an area in his life that we often overlook in God's pursuit in calling him to do something great. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we will be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I want us to look at this pursuit that God has towards Moses and realizing that we ourselves are given this same opportunity. It says here in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, don't get me wrong. When we look at this passage of Scripture and we go into the Bible, we need to understand this truth. The Bible tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, a gift from God. 
so that no one may boast. We cannot earn God's salvation. We cannot come to church enough to earn God's salvation. We can't do enough good to earn God's salvation. So if you have come here with that understanding today, I want you to realize that that is a myth that maybe you have heard as a result of being in this culture, maybe uh, from being where you are. Uh, It is a myth that needs to be debunked with the truth that is God saves. And God provides, and he's the only one who gives us the gift of that salvation. But with what God gives, there is still a response required on our behalf. And so today when it comes to giving or or, or allowing ourselves to have a second chance, we have got to be able to have an understanding of what God is giving us and position ourselves to be in a place where we are willing to receive God's pursuit in our life. So as we look at this passage of Scripture and we see what it takes on our behalf to receive the second chance that God gives us, we need to realize this truth, is that we need to position ourselves to see God. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. As we look at Moses' life, what we need to realize first is as we are positioning ourselves to see God, we need to really look at the position that Moses was in. See, I think there's an area in Moses' life, like in many of our lives, that we don't want to talk about. You know, there's always that that dark period or that dark time. And sometimes we just don't like to bring those old wounds out. But in Moses' life, this is something that's very important because what it does is it it acts as encouragement for us seeing what God provides. And it lets us realize that we're not alone. We're not alone in this journey. We're not alone in in the decisions, the the mishaps that take place in our life. See, Moses, prior to this moment, was known as a murderer. You know, when you look at Moses' life, you've got to look at it in three different sections. See, he lived the beginning of his life, ages 0 through 40, in Egypt. Now, he didn't just live in Egypt. Uh, He was a part of the crown in Egypt. He was a part of Pharaoh's court. He was power in Egypt. He had everything. But as he grew older and understanding, what he realized was he was not an Egyptian by birth. See, he began to realize who he truly was and that he was an Israelite. Now, let's look at the Israelites during this time period. Through the leadership of Joseph, when there was famine, the Israelites migrated into Egypt. But over the course of 400 years, they began to grow. And then what happened was the Egyptians took notice. And to prevent the Israelites from having power, They enslaved them within their kingdom. Moses is picking up on this. 
And so one day, Moses is out, and he sees one of his own people being beaten. Now, in this moment, Moses did what I would probably do. He reacted, taking the situation into his own hands rather than sitting back and processing how he should, through wisdom, handle this situation. And so what he did is he reacted out of emotion. He went and he attacked the Egyptian, killing him. Moses then became known as the Egyptian killer, not just by the Egyptians, but also by his own people. And in this moment, what Moses did, rather than going back, confronting Pharaoh, rather than turning himself in, what he did is he fled. He fled to spend the next 40 years of his life working as a shepherd for his father-in-law in Midian out in the desert. He went from power to nothing. Yet it was when he had nothing that he saw God. Many of us right now, as we look at Moses' life, we can relate to the fact that we are in the desert. But if I can give you some hope today, it's this. Don't allow the guilt of your sin to prevent you from the grace of God. Don't allow your guilt to prevent you from God's grace, God's pursuit in your life. See, Moses fled out of guilt, but praise God that he continued to pursue Moses. Many of us feel like we are living in the desert Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's something you're going through in your marriage. Maybe it's something that you have have gone through as a parent. Maybe it's with work. There's so many different things that we go through in our life that we find ourselves suffocating in the desert. But let me tell you this much. God is as present in the desert as he is in the palace. And we see that in Moses' life as he responded to God. Do you realize Moses was 80 years old when God spoke to him? 80 years old. You know, I look at the demographic of our church, and I would say the majority of our church members are are probably from the age of of 35 to 55. That would probably accumulate to the majority of of where we are as a church. Uh, We have several who are a little older. We have ones who are definitely younger. And and sorry, students, I'm kind of excluding you from that, but because of your parents, yes, you're a big part of this, this church as well. But really, looking at it from that standpoint, uh, we're, we're looking at kind of, of that range. Now, what often happens... Because when we get to a certain point in our life, we begin to think, God can't use me anymore. I'm too old. I can't do it. Maybe there's some of you that you're intimidated because of your youth. You know, I look at two different situations that have taken place in our church. The first one is this. When Will was in high school, God pursued him. He accepted that pursuit. As a result, 
junior, senior year of high school, he decided to step out and to, to lead. Many of our students have followed that example. They have not looked at their youth as a handicap. But what they have done is they've stepped up to the plate to lead. On the other end, I was talking in the first service about a gentleman in our church. Many of you probably know him, Mr. Fulmer. Mr. Fulmer is, a, is an older gentleman in the church, and he's always out there greeting with a smile, he and his wife. Several years ago, he came to me, and, and he said, I, I want to help with the students. And so we, we got him involved. He helps with the, the parking. He's outside greeting people. He is out there pursuing, loving on them, being a part of their life. A little over a year ago, they found a spot in his brain, a spot that they thought was a tumor. The church began to pray. When they went back in, they could not find that spot. During that time, our students were really shaken up. I remember ones coming up to me that I didn't even know they knew who Mr. Fulmer was, and they said, how's Mr. Fulmer doing with tears in their eyes? How's Mr. Fulmer? We're praying for Mr. Fulmer. How's Mr. Fulmer? Every week they would come, and they would ask me about him. Now, he could look at his life and say, you know what? I'm on the back nine. But instead, he said, no, God use me. And as a result, he has impacted the lives of our students. He has impacted the lives in this church. See, God will use you if you're willing to let him. He called Moses at the age of 80, a man who was a murderer, a man who fled out of guilt. Certainly, he can call you. So we look and we see that Moses was positioned in the wilderness. But what we also realize here is that he was positioned to see God. Verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, I've not seen a burning bush that has not been consumed. I doubt that anybody here in this, this church has, maybe some of you back in the 60s and 70s, for reasons that I won't go into, but you have not seen that take place in this life. We see it in the Scripture, and that is the only time recorded in history that we have seen that situation take place. Now, the reason I say that is because if you see something like that taking place, more than likely, what are you going to do? You're going to look at it. But what is interesting to me is what we see in the Scripture is it was only when Moses looked that God spoke. So how many of you are positioned to hear God? How many of you are seeking His truth? See, in life, when we go through trials, when we go through hurt, we can do one of two things. We can either run from God or we can run towards God. And for those of us who grasp the gospel, 
We run to Jesus every time. My life is a testimony of mishaps. My life is a testimony of mercy. My life is a a testimony of grace. I could sit up here and I could tell you all the mistakes that I have made. And any time I have tried to do things on my own, it has never worked out well. But in moments of trial, when I have found myself seeking God, that is when my life has been restored. Several years ago, uh, my grandfather passed away. Now, he and I were extremely, extremely close so much so I named my, my first child after him. But when he got sick, and it was tough. It was tough, one, not being with him. It was tough seeing him in that situation. I mean, this was the guy who was the patriarch of our family, a strong-willed, loving man, one who has impacted lives as a coach for decades. To see him deteriorate was tough. But I look at how everything went, and I see that God's timing was still perfect. It was a Wednesday night. I was over in the office. It was about 4 o'clock. Now, Wednesday nights, parents, for those of you who don't know, um, not right now in the summer, but on Wednesday nights, that's when we have all of our student activities. So from 5.45 to 7 o'clock, that's when, or 7.30, that's when we have all of our middle school activities. And then from 7.30 to 8.45, that's when we have our high school activities. So now you can say you have heard that from my mouth. And so now you can bring your kids. And so uh, during that time, I was preparing to speak, and so I was very focused on what was, was happening. And then I get that word, and all of a sudden everything just changes. I found myself on my knees in my office just just crying. Nobody else was up there at the time, and I was hurting. In that moment, I only knew one thing to do, and that was to pray to God. God, I need your strength. God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to be able to focus tonight. How am I going to be able to get up on stage, attempt to to make people laugh, attempt to to act like I'm, I'm having a good time when all this is going on in the back of my mind. I can't get my mind off of it. In that moment, God worked a miracle in my life, and I understood what Paul says, referring to God as a peace that surpasses all understanding. I understood what it means to have joy in my life because I did not have happiness in that moment. But God got me through. That evening, I was able to make it. But right at the end of the night, Brantley, Hannah, came up on stage. And I'll never forget as he walked up on the side and he said, one of our own is hurting. And we need to pray. In that moment, the students in the room gathered and we prayed together. It was powerful. In that moment, I could have tried to do it on my own, but I was hurting so much I could not. And in a moment on my knees, in a moment with tears in my eyes, was one of the greatest moments of strength I have ever had. Not because of anything that I did, but because there is power when God's people pray.
There is power when we come together as a unit, as a family, and we pursue God. So we can either run towards Him or we can run away from Him. Are you positioned to run towards God? So we position ourselves to see God, but not only are we supposed to see God, but we have to position ourselves to respond to God. Verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. What did God do to Moses when he responded, when he sought God? God responded to him. See, when we seek God, God responds to us. That is what's so amazing. And as we look at this passage and we see who God is, it is a miracle that he himself would see it fit to even want to pursue us, yet he does so to the point that he gave his life so that we could live. It says in verse 4, God called him out of the bush. God said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. If you're taking notes, circle where it says Moses, Moses. What I want you to realize is when you see a name repeated in that format, especially in this context that we're reading in Exodus, it is a term of endearment. What we see in God's pursuit is that God is passionately pursuing us as children, pursuing us as friends. He's not pursuing us to to make us work for him in in, in some uh, way that we envision it as as maybe being enslaved, but that is that what we see is a God who loves us. A God who knows us by name. And a God that even when Moses was not pursuing him, God still pursued Moses. Moses responded, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he knew, or for he was afraid to look at God. See, what we see in this passage is that God responded to Moses when Moses sought God. And his response, he calls us by name. But what takes place in Moses' life is something that often takes place in our life. See, I think Moses reacted naturally. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever been around somebody who's who's in, uh, I guess, uh, has has power, um, somebody, maybe it's a, a boss that you work for, maybe you've been around somebody who's just really, really big and strong, and so when you're around them, you're you kind of cower like me because I'm not. And so you look at them, and I think oftentimes what happens is, is naturally you think, oh, my gosh, this person's going to kill me. You know, I mean, you look, James. James is really big. I'm careful what I say around James. Not really. But here's the thing. Though James is really big and James is really strong, he's one of the most genuine and sweetest guys I've ever met. He's very loving. And he is a great friend. 
You know, when we look at God, I think sometimes we look like Moses did. And we see him for his holiness because the Bible says that he is holy. And that is very true. We see him for his power. We see him for his might. We see his great glory. And we see his glory as something to be afraid of rather than something that we look at as a means for our salvation. Because, see, here's the truth. God's glory is our salvation. And what that simply means is this, is when we act that way, yes, we act naturally, but we also act with a lack of understanding. One of my favorite stories as, I, as a kid was uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, several years ago, we went to SLU 301. We got to go see uh, where C.S. Lewis's grave was and all that stuff. So it was pretty neat having read some of his stuff, being able to see that. But as a kid, that was the one that I, I really knew. And I saw the British version, you know, the one that was like really well done, not at all. But that was the one that I grew up on. And so, and as I watched that, there was a dialogue that took place in that movie that has always really stood out to me. As I got older, I, I read the book, and uh, that same dialogue just really just, just magnified itself to me. And it's a dialogue that took place with one of the characters, Susan and Mr. Beaver. They had just gone into Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so they've gone through, and, and Susan's with Mr. Beaver, and she starts to ask these questions because what she's doing is she's beginning to figure out that there's this character in this story named Aslan, this great lion, the one that everyone fears, the one that, that everyone wants to know about. And so she talks to Mr. Beaver, and she says this, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion, said Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is the king of I tell you, our God, safe. No, he's not safe. His holiness is not safe. Because of our sin, we cannot be in the presence of that which is perfect. But because of the cross, we can. And God pursues us. Is he safe? No, he's not safe. But guess what, church? He's good. And he wants to give you a second chance. So the question is, are you positioned to let that happen? Are you positioned to see God? And are you positioned to respond to his glory his grace, and his pursuit of you. Today you have that opportunity. In a moment we're going to conclude with a time of worship. During that time in your bulletin, there is a little slip there on the right side, I believe. And in that, what you can do is, is fill out that card saying, you know what, I need a second chance. 
Maybe there's some of you that you just feel down and out and you need that today. I want to encourage you to just fill that out and on your way out, we'll have men by the doors with the little offering baskets. You just slip that in there. And we want to call you this week. We want to be able to pray with you, walk you through and explain to you a little bit more about God's grace that he provides for your life. So if that's you, don't miss out on what God has in store. Because I promise it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And God, we ask that you would work a miracle in the lives here before us. Jesus, that we would position ourselves to see you, God. That we would position ourselves to love you. And God, that we would respond to your cross. God, that we would respond to your grace, that we would respond to your mercy. God, that we would respond to your pursuit of us. So, Lord, as we conclude this time of worship, I pray, Father, for those of us who stand here today as children of God, that we would stand and we would sing your praises. Knowing that you are great, knowing that you are good. that you love us. Jesus, may it be about you and not be about us. Christ, amen.